welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Um, welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Um, if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Mark. We're in a series on Mark's gospel leading up to Easter uh, in the season of Lent. If you didn't know, it's Lent. Uh, we're right in the middle of it. It's the uh, 40-ish days prior to Easter, not counting Sundays. Um, and so we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. Um, I remember a conversation that I was in uh, with, uh, at a previous church and um, it was, a, it was a, one of those difficult conversations, if you've ever been in one of those at your workplace, where, you know, tensions get a little high, the blood pressure rises a little bit. And I remember at one point saying to this person who was kind of, you know, having it out with me, I just said, like, I, I, I don't understand what you want, so what do you want from me? You ever been to that place before where you just, like, lay it out there, like, what exactly do you want? I'm not totally sure. Um, This morning, we're going to dive into a passage where I I feel like Jesus answers that question. Like, what do you really want? Uh, And there have been a a number of these moments along the way in Mark's gospel where uh, a couple weeks, I think I said, is like a manifest of Jesus' ministry and what the kingdom looks like. And we get another one of those at the end of this story. And uh, this story, which many of you are probably familiar with, um, I think is absolutely essential to understanding the kingdom and the, the nature of the kingdom and what it means to follow this Jesus and really what it is that, that Jesus requires. So I'll invite you to stand, and I'm going to start reading in chapter 12, verse 28. It says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered him wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared him asked him any. No one dared ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he said, "Why do the teachers of the law say the Messiah is the son of David?" David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, "The Lord is my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet." David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and to be greeted, by, with, uh, be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, for they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she, all she had to live on. Pray with me. God, as we uh, gather this morning and we quiet our hearts, Uh, to hear your voice. Uh, I think of our friends on the silent retreat 
uh, I pray for them and ask that you would visit with them like you might visit with us. Um, God, I, I ask that as we study your scriptures that they would be alive and active as you promised them to be, that they would be inspired and be your words for us this morning, for your church in 2016, uh, right here in St. Paul. So challenge us, invite us to be the people that you've called us to be, I pray, and give us the courage to say yes, and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. So um, this morning, in this passage, there's kind of three distinct parts, and I want to take them in turn. Uh, The first one is a question that's asked of Jesus, of course, this very important question by the teachers of the law. Um, Maybe the most important question Jesus is asked by them, which commandment is the most important? Essentially, if you boil it all down, which is the one or two that are the most important that sort of rise above the rest? What's the cream of the crop, they ask? Then there's a riddle that Jesus asks or, or sort of gives to them, this, and it's sort of cryptic. And if, I, if you don't slow down, it's hard to really get who the reference are and what's really what Jesus is saying. But it's key to the next story because then there's this demonstration between these two different groups of people, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and this widow. So there's a demonstration that Jesus holds up these examples and contrasts them. So here we go. Are you ready? Okay, okay. Um, Number one, this question, what do you want from me? Uh, The teachers of the law come to Jesus and they ask him to sort of boil down. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament that the Jews would have lived by and would have known. Maybe some of them from memory, um, but not all of them, but at least they would have been familiar with them. And so Jesus gives them a quote from a Jewish prayer that's prayed even today by millions of Jews around the world, morning and evening, and it's called the Shema. Um, often in Hebrew, the first word of a text or the first word of a prayer is often what it's called. So like the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, in Hebrew are named the first words of the book, right? So uh, the first word of, of Genesis is Bereshit, and that's what it's called in Hebrew. Uh, it means in the beginning or the beginnings. So the, the Shema is a prayer that's prayed almost daily by Jews, and it's Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, and it means Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And then it goes on to talk about uh, essentially like putting the word of God in your heart and reciting these things daily, uh, putting them on the doorposts of your homes. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, the first step in the fulfillment of the law, if all these laws are added up and Jesus says, essentially, this is the one, if I boil it all down, the first step in fulfilling the law for Jesus is love of God, as your, or love God with all your strength, soul, and mind. And then he adds to that, love your neighbor as yourself. Now the response of the teacher who's asking him is kind of fascinating. He affirms Jesus' response, right? He asks him this question, so which one is the most important? And Jesus says, love your Lord your God with all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, good answer, good answer. You know, like, that'd be interesting, You're not knowing really who this guy is. You know, Lord, the, the creator of the world, good job on that one. That's a good answer, well done. So he affirms Jesus' response and he says, so love of God and love of neighbor is essentially more important than all all the sacrifices and temple. Now, if you've been following along in Mark, you should remember where exactly they are. Right? This is a huge statement. What Jesus has said and what this guy affirms is massive because they're literally in the temple courts. So Jesus basically says, if you boil it all down, everything that you're doing, all the religious things that are happening, all the sacrifices that are going up, all the prayers that are being prayed, all the things that are happening, the, the very, the very like, essence of what this structure stands for, 
right? And he says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So basically what he says is everything that's happening here is at the very least secondary to this one thing. And maybe even more than that, is sort of missing the point, right? Because Jesus has something to say to the temple and to Israel and to the structure that they're standing in. If you've been following in the story, he's throwing the temples over and he's, he's critiquing it. And so I think it's important for us just to stop every once in a great while and say, okay, this thing that we do on Sunday morning, this structure that we sit in, it's at the very least secondary. And maybe more than that, sometimes it gets in the way of what's primary. Amen? So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. As he sits in the temple courts. It's sort of like the proverbial mic drop. He's sort of blowing the whole thing up. And he's, and he's, and he's inviting these people to come back to, to return to what's essential, which is Love, love of God and love of, of, love of self and love of neighbor. Now, a couple things that I want to note on this one before we move to this riddle that he offers. I think first and foremost, we could say that love matters most. Religious people work really, really, really hard to arrange furniture in their heads. Right? Like, we work really hard to make sure that we understand something properly and that doctrine and dogma are all properly arranged, if we want to call that furniture, in our minds. And I want to stop and say that what Jesus, I, what I think Jesus is saying, and what I would offer to you this morning is, if you have all the mental furniture of belief arranged correctly in your head, but you don't have love of God and love of neighbor, then you have nothing James says, faith without works is dead. So there's something about the way in which we hold our beliefs that maybe is even more important than the beliefs that we actually hold in and of themselves. I've said this before. How you believe what you believe is more important than what you believe. You can believe all the right things about God and all the right things about yourself and all the right things about the other and be a total jerkwad about it and it doesn't matter for anything because nobody wants to listen to you. How you hold the things that you hold is really, really, really important. So I want to just pause this morning and invite us to think about that. Love matters most. If you don't have love, if you don't have love of God and love of neighbor as self, then everything else, and Paul repeats this again and again and again in the New Testament. So it's not just Jesus that I'm basing this argument on. It's like the entirety of the New Testament. If you don't have love of God and love of neighbor as self as the foundation for what you believe as a follower of Jesus, then I want to suggest you go back to the drawing board and start over. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that what we believe about God isn't important. I'm not saying that what we believe about the world we live in and each other isn't important. It is. It's incredibly important. But it's important that we not forget where we start from. Because if you have all that stuff lined up and you get it all right, if you, host, if you, if you have everything ready and the table set, but you're a jerk of a host, nobody wants to come to your party. Love matters most. 
I think I would also say to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to first learn how to love yourself. Now, this seems weird, right? Because, well, this is an all play. I'd love for you to just shout out. What are some of the messages we've heard or you've heard about yourself from the church? Shout it out. You're a sinner. What else? Not good enough. What else? You're guilty. What else? Saved a wretch like me. (laughs) Ironically enough, we're going to sing that song in about 10 minutes. (laughs) So think about that one as we sing it, right? It's the irony. We're just sort of trying to create some dissonance in your head. You know, good art. Now, that's not the only messages maybe we've heard, so I don't want to paint the entirety of our church experience or our religious experience with that brush, but I think if, if we're being honest, often the message we get about self from religion or even culture begins in Genesis 3, not Genesis 1. Right? You're a sinner. You're in need of grace. Without God's help, you are a mess, lost cause, a wretch, a worm, even some of our forefathers might say. If you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, and that's what you think about yourself, I don't want to be your neighbor. (laughs) Right? I think we should start where the scriptures start. That you and I, at our very core, in our essence, are a reflection of the divine being. That the light of God is in you. It's in me. That's where we begin. That's where the scriptures begin. Not you're a sinner, you've fallen, you're a wretch, you, you're, you need grace. Actually, the scriptures begin with, you're beautiful. You're wonderfully made. You belong. You are loved. Now, is there a problem? Do we break things? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I just have to come to your house for dinner to know that. And you to mine. That's not what I'm saying, but where we begin the story matters a great deal. And so if we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, then there's an invitation, I think, for us to learn how to love ourselves. It's hard to love yourself when the messages you've received <clears throat> are anything less than what I think the scriptures say, that you are a gift from God with unsurpassable worth you believe that about yourself first, that when we, and, and, in fact, it's interesting that the, the scriptures, the word in Hebrew for repent is the word teshuva, which means turn around or return. So basically, instead of becoming something totally new, we're returning to something that we already are, in essence. That's the biblical narrative. So return to an image. You are an image bearer of God first. You are loved. You belong. To love neighbor as self means you have to learn how to say, I'm actually of worth. I'm of great value to God. I'm a, a unique creation that God loves with unbelievable, uh, like relentless love. If we can start there, then maybe we could love our neighbors as ourselves. I wonder if that isn't part of the problem in terms of our un- un- inability to love our neighbor well. I don't know. That's just an offering for you to think about this morning. Either way, Jesus begins with this, love your neighbor as yourself, and then, or love God, 
uh, love God with all your strength, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the question. Then he moves on to this riddle. And uh, I, would, I would say maybe the riddle, uh, you could say it this way, the Lord becomes the son. Now stick with me here. Jesus asks this question, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah will be the son of David? Right? So he asks this question. Teachers of the law, there's a, there's a belief in Judaism that the Messiah will be the son of David. And then he quotes from the Psalms where David himself refers to the Messiah as the Lord. All right? So Jesus is pointing out that the Jewish expectation of the Messiah is that he'll be the son of David, but then also that David in the Psalms quote or, or says is speaking about this person who is his senior, not his junior, right? If the Messiah is going to be the son of David, then David would speak about this person as his junior, not his senior. That makes sense? So he's essentially referring to somebody as the Lord, and the Psalms go, then go on to say that the Lord is the Messiah. The Messiah becomes the son of David. So essentially this person that David is talking about as the Lord becomes the son of David. So how then does the Lord become the son? What's the riddle here? Or this is the riddle. Jesus' move from Lord, which David calls him rightfully, to the son, which he is, the son of David, which the scriptures talk about, is a move that is essential to getting what it means to follow Jesus. And it's essential to understanding why he then shows the widow and the religious leaders in the next story. And the move is, Jesus' move from Lord to Son is not a move to gain popularity and power like the teachers of the law, but rather the opposite in that he gives up his very life to do so. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. There's a passage that I'm going to read very slowly and intentionally because it's, it's, it's one of the most important passages in the New Testament if you're going to understand what is exactly happened in this Jesus guy. Paul says this, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the Lord becomes the Son by giving up everything, by humbling himself to become obedient to death. Therefore God exalts him to the highest place and gives him the name that is above every name, that every, at that name every, of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." How does the Lord become the Son? This is the Jesus move. This is the kingdom move. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the kingdom move is always power under. It's always divesting our own desires and our own power and our own authority to serve someone else. How does the Lord become the Son? By giving up everything, by sacrificial love. And then there's this third section of the passage that we read this, this morning in Mark. This demonstration. So Jesus then says, okay, you guys want to see how this works? Love God with all your str strength, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a riddle. The Lord becomes the son. How does this work? Sacrificial love. Here's what it looks like. Here's two groups of people. These religious leaders. These people, they come in the temple. They've got their robes flowing. They've got their ties tied. They get all the seats, the best seats in the synagogue. They get the popcorn. I mean, they get all the perks at the deal, Right? They get cappuccinos instead of drip coffee. I mean, it's like, come on, people. And then they say these prayers, and everybody they want everybody to hear them, and they want to be greeted with respect. He says, these folks, man, they've totally missed it. 
But here's a woman who gets it. Jesus shows how it works by contrasting these two groups of people. And here's the kicker. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people that he's he's comparing the widow to, these are people that should have been empowering and serving the people of of, of Israel. But yet we find them not serving them, but actually exploiting them. We find Josephus is a historian, and in Josephus and other places, we learned that the, the, the high priests and the teachers of the law, they would often extort and exploit the people around them. They would take the money that people were giving before it were ever to, to get to the priests to sort of pad their own coffers. They would take people's land. It was just ridiculous, the things that they were doing, which is why Jesus says these people devour widows' homes. They were literally predatory lenders. They would take people's land and take people's money. And these are the people who are at the top of the deal. They're the ones who are at the top of the temple. They're the ones who are supposed to be serving the people. Oh, my gosh. And they're the backdrop for this woman who becomes the sort of poster person for the kingdom and what it looks like. What is Jesus saying? If you don't have the love of God and self and neighbor in your heart, you have nothing. All the religious piety, all the apparent holiness cannot get you where one seemingly small and insignificant gift can get you. What does God want and how do you get there? It seems very clear to me that from this text that the kingdom and the movement of Jesus moves us away from blind obedience and adherence to religious laws and rules for piety's sake, and towards a broken heart and contrite heart that's willing to give up everything just as Jesus the Lord did to become the Son. You see the connections now. So this morning, maybe you're fed up with religion. Maybe you're fed up with all the rules and regulation and judgment and hypocrites who appear to be whitewashed on the outside and sort of clean and everything's together, but on the inside are just rotting dead corpses. I would say to you that Jesus is with you. Amen, Brother Micah. (laughs) Jesus is with the poor in spirit and the brokenhearted. Jesus is with the marginalized and the exploited. Jesus is with those who are at the end of their ropes. Jesus is with those who give all that they have in worship and in love of God, who recognize themselves as a gift from God, unsurpassable worth and value, who love their neighbors as yourself. Jesus is with those people. That's good news. So my challenge to you this morning, maybe, maybe a couple of questions, invitations. What does it mean for you to let love lead? Maybe you've worked really, really hard, and my wife and I often have arguments about this. I am not a rule follower. I know that's hard for many of you to believe. <laughs> You're like, what? Are you kidding me? She says that the rules, I think the rules were made to be broken. And I don't think that's true. I just think some of them should be broken. Because they don't make sense anyways. So I follow them. But maybe you've worked really hard and rules and regulations mean a great deal to you. And so having all the mental furniture arranged just so has been like a, a pursuit of your life. And I would just invite you to consider. What would it look like for you to let love lead? And maybe you make a mistake on a particular piece of doctrine or dogma. Maybe you've got it wrong on something, but your intent leads with love of God and love of neighbor first. I would would encourage you to be that person instead of the other person. 
who maybe gets it right on a particular doctrine, but is a jerk in doing so. And maybe I'm wrong on that one, and I'll just offer it for your consideration. You could say, I disagree with you, Mike. I think that that's fine, but I, I want to I invite you to consider that this morning. What would it look like for you to let love lead that process? Second question, what does it mean for you to begin the process of learning to love yourself so that you can love others as yourself? I think many of us have spent a lot of years beating ourselves up over whatever bad choice we may have made or mistakes we may have made in the past, hurts that we may have caused, decisions that we've made that we regret, any number of things. Or maybe it's just voices from other people that we've heard. And we've spent our whole lives beating ourselves up. And so to love our neighbor as ourself would be a total disaster. What's it look like for you to begin a journey, to begin a process of learning to love yourself? Not in a way that inflates or conflates or, or, or gets sort of out of balance, but how, God act, how I believe that the scriptures and how God sees you. Dearly loved, beloved, who belongs, who is of great value, unsurpassable worth. What would that journey look like? to begin to learn how to see yourself that way, the way God, I think God sees you. In need of grace, yes. Good Lord, do I need that. And then this last question, if you've never given a portion of your finances to the work of God, I think that this is important. And I think to, to preach this text and not at least stop here for a moment is, is to miss a, a, a big part of it. Our money matters a great deal, and it's a, I think it's an indicator of our heart Jesus himself says it. So what would it look like for you if you've never before committed to give a portion of your finances to the work of God in the world, whether that's Awaken or some other organization, I don't care. I actually don't. What I care about is that you are connected to this process of saying, with your money and your resources, God, I recognize it as a gift and I give it back sacrificially out of love and worship. What would it look like to begin that process, maybe for the first time, to commit to that journey, to say, I'm going to take X portion of my, my resources, and I'm going to give it, I'm going to invest it in God's work in the world, somewhere, a local church, a ministry, something, a nonprofit that does Jesus kind of work in the world, even if they're not a Christian organization, I say, go for it. Joseph's Coat, they're doing Jesus' work. Give to them a portion of it, because that process begins to unlock the grip that we have on the things that we think are ours but actually aren't. That is an important journey in the spiritual life. I want to encourage you to think about it. So those three questions. What's it mean for you to let love lead this process of learning to love yourself and maybe if you've never given a portion of your money to the work of God in the world? I want to invite you to think about those things. I'm going to invite us to a time of silence. Uh, the band's going to come. They're going to lead us in song. Um, we want to provide this opportunity to respond. And so hopefully some of these songs will touch on some of the things that we're thinking about and we're, we're, we're discussing. Uh, there's always a prayer team available during this response time. You're welcome to use that and to maybe just have someone bear witness to something that you feel like God might be doing in your heart. Um, and know that the kneelers are available. If you're in a pew and you want to connect the posture of your heart to the posture of your body, that's never a bad thing, so feel free to use those. Um, so let me pray and invite us to a time of silence and then response.
God, as we um, take just a few moments in the busyness of our week, in the busyness of a Sunday, we want to stop and just listen. So Holy Spirit, as we do, come, uh, be near, speak, encourage, invite, do the things that you do. And I pray, God, that you would highlight something for us this morning to think about more deeply, to maybe pursue. Maybe it's a process of unarranging some of the furniture so that we can put a nice foundation of love of God and love of neighbor first. Friends, thank you so much for being here. Um, Six years ago, when we thought about planting this church, um, my hope and my prayer, if I could have boiled it down to one thing, it was that it would be that people would see Jesus for who he really is. Um, I hope and I pray that that's true. Uh, I hope and I pray that you leave weekly being able to say, I can see you clearly now. I can see the love in your eyes because what you do is raise new things to life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So my friends, my brothers and sisters know that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.